Good morning, everyone. Welcome to our session called Tips for Managing Wi-Fi, iPads, and Chromebooks. Uh, my name is Wes Fryer, and I'm by Lauren Swinson. Uh, we are both um, with the technology department at Cassidy School, and um, you can find all the resources for this session by going to this shortened web link. Um, and Lauren was passing out some little stickers, and I'll actually put one um, by the door too, so that if you have a QR code scanner, we'll put that up at the end. But uh, this is a Google slideshow, and you can get to all these resources, and these are linked as well. Our main goal in this session is to share some of our lessons learned. It seems that as fast as things change in technology, and as many different things that we have coming at us in schools, there's really not one place that you can go to school to um, to learn about these things, and being connected and having the opportunity to learn from other people is really, you know, the, the, the way to not only survive but to thrive. And so today, as my voice perhaps fades in and out, well, I'm just going to be really still, uh, we're going to kind of go back and forth a little bit. Um, we're going to talk um, initially about kind of our story of how we went wireless and how we've upgraded our network and how we've made choices for that because we are really two and a half, two and a third of people. I mean, we, we support a lot of folks, and, and just like most schools and maybe everybody, you know, we're asked to do more with less. So uh, we're going to talk about that, talk about the Meraki Wi-Fi that we use and how we manage our network, talk about security and ways that we are approaching security, um, specifically talk about our mobile device management or our NDM and what we've learned doing that and what we're thinking about going forward, and then talk a little bit about Chromebooks and managing, um, because we are in the position of supporting both and knowing both. Uh, in the last session, somebody asked, how do you decide? iPad, Chromebook, what do you, what do you use? And it really depends on purpose and what you want to do, and it's very helpful to be able to talk with people who are supporting both, because there are big differences, both in terms of what each platform can do, but in terms of what it takes to support the platform as well. And so we hope we'll be able to do some time for Q&A. So as you may know, Cassie School is here in Oklahoma City. Uh, we are located in the northwest part of the city. Uh, I can't believe I took that picture uh, like last week, and it was 83 degrees, um, but uh, we serve about 170 faculty and staff. We have about 900 students, uh, pre-K through 12th grade. We're on eight acres, we have 19 buildings, and we have uh, fiber connections connecting all of our buildings, and we've got Wi-Fi um, covering the entire campus. But this April, we're actually gonna have an arts festival, the 50th um, arts festival, ISAS, which is our association. And there's gonna be about 3,000 students that are gonna descend on our campus. We think some of them are going to want to get on Wi-Fi, so we're kind of getting up for that right now. Um, but um, I've created a little word cloud of some of the, the things that would describe us in IT or some of the things that we do. Uh, we've been at Google Campus for about five years, which is not GAFE, it's now called G Suite, but I'm used to saying GAFE for Google Apps for Education. Uh, we do have MacBooks for all of our teachers, although we have a few folks using Windows machines. We have more Windows computers on our staff side in our business office and, and some of our support offices. Um, we're a BYOD for high school, so kids don't have to bring devices except in our computer science classes, but students can in the high school. But in middle school, we're very Chromebook focused. We have six parts of Chromebooks. In fact, the middle division has been the group of teachers that has really, I think, taken to Google Classroom and to utilizing collaborative tools, 
you know, more than, than anyone else. And um, now we've added several other Chromebook parts and uh, I think, I guess I'll be sure that later, but I will say this, um, I became a technology director a year and a half ago, and in fact, I got folks from UConn, I was working on UConn for four years before coming over to Cassidy, and everybody has a bias. And certainly one of my biases is, I want to empower other people. I want to empower teachers, I want to empower our staff. Uh, if we wanted to in IT, we could lock things down so much that we wouldn't have much to do, you know, because people would be calling us. And it's actually a real challenge because we do have more email and more phone calls and more tickets. I think because of excitement and, and desire that people have to use technology, but this is this is the world we live in. We actually want to be in a situation where teachers are asking questions and they want to do more. Um, and so hopefully you'll you'll give some, some tips in this session and you'll be able to share those as well because um, as you probably know, that is not always the focus of an, an IT department. And I think we, we walk up an important line between security and consistency and what we can support and have time to support and then trying to help teachers be creative and innovate and do things that we might not have done before. So I'm going to turn it over to Laura now to talk a little bit about our Wi-Fi network and network story and we're going to have to figure out where, where it's being. Okay. Um, I don't know. I guess my phones are kind of off. Um, we got net. We, we, I guess so basically uh, seven eight seven or eight years ago we had no wireless on campus whatsoever um, we had a parents organization that was willing to donate donate some money at the end of each year to say hey well what can you guys come up with on a whim we decided to throw uh, a wireless project in you know it was about a sixty thousand dollar project and so for whatever reason, they actually chose it. And it was kind of one of those things we didn't expect it to happen. We really didn't think we'd get it. But we figured to uh, shoot for the moon, settle for the stars. Uh, we ended up going with a Cisco system. Covered all 80 acres, although um, it was more of a, yes, there's coverage, but maybe not for more than a handful of people. Um, about a year and a half ago, we came found ourselves in a mode where it was time to replace the old equipment. And we had a lot of decision-making to make on that as far as... Uh, the Cisco is very good. It's a very good enterprise-level solution. But it was a bit more complicated and a bit more uh, difficult to make changes on the fly than what we were looking for. Um, as Wes said, for the most part, the technology shop for our 80 acres is right here. Um, so in trying to do more with less, which I'm sure none of you guys understand, um, we found ourselves in a scenario where, like, okay, well, how best can we do this? Because oftentimes if we want to make a, a broad sweeping change, we're stuck at the whim of a... Um, contractor, maybe because we don't understand the Cisco language or the uh, to do it ourselves. So the Meraki kind of we did a lot of research, and the Meraki is what we end up going with. And at the time when we picked it, there was they just been acquired by Cisco. A lot of horror stories about cloud management and how much it can mess you up. We took this, we took a swing for it, went for it, and it's been uh, fantastic. The Meraki has allowed us to make sweeping changes quickly. I've even made one at the supermarket once. Someone called wanting some IPs. I was able to log in with my phone, make make a few IP addresses, give it to the guy on the phone, and say, here you go. So for doing more with less, creating VLANs, creating, uh, separating things, even looking, you know, this morning we looked on the dashboards. We had a switch down. We could tell which building was in, how long it had been down, and what happened. So our experience in the Meraki so far has been almost revolutionary. I'm not, I'm not a Meraki uh, bandwagon fan, but it certainly has 
gone a long way towards what we needed to do. You want to go ahead and we got a quick video here that kind of it's not our video, but we're going to use it. Meet Dave, the IT guy. Once upon a time, Dave was at peace with his network, but one day Dave's network began to change. His users went mobile, and their apps moved to the cloud. They guzzled bandwidth everywhere, and from so many devices, Dave couldn't keep count. Dave's users had shiny new devices and slick web apps, but Dave had to serve them with the same old networking technology, which meant buying more boxes and navigating an endless list of configuration settings, software packages, and modules. It was expensive and complex. There was no budget to hire more people and no time to go off for training. It all fell on Dave to figure it out. So, when Ray in accounting was streaming Netflix all day, a visitor in the lobby opened a laptop riddled with viruses, Nancy from the New York office couldn't get online, and the CEO couldn't read email on his iPad. It was all on Dave. Then Dave heard about Meraki. You see, back in the day, some brainiacs at MIT set out to build a really big network that ran itself. They developed a totally new network architecture, which we now call cloud networking. They knew they were onto something big, so they left MIT and started Meraki. Today, Meraki makes a complete family of networking products, from wireless LANs to routers and even security appliances. These have really powerful hardware, so they can handle all the devices and applications on today's networks without needing a million other boxes. They're quick to install and easy on the eye too. But what's really clever is that Meraki's hardware is controlled from the cloud. Meraki has data centers all over the world, and every piece of Meraki hardware stays connected to these data centers over the internet. So now, the headaches Dave used to deal with are taken care of automatically from the cloud. Dave uses Meraki's simple browser-based dashboard to tell the network what he wants, and the cloud takes care of the rest. Dave has the capacity his users need and can manage security policies, applications, and users without stacks of boxes, costly training, new staff, or thousand-page manuals. In schools and universities, hospitals, hotels, businesses, and factories, thousands of IT professionals like Dave have switched to Meraki. Finally, a network that simply works. All right, so how many of you are administrators? Do we have any, and do we have some IT folks? Some people who, and so, you know, it's not often that you end up making a switch like that of a whole system, um, but I know Lawton, is anybody here from Lawton? Is Vanessa here? I know Lawton Public Schools um, has made a switch over to Meraki. We've actually asked lots of people, you know, we, we always do whenever we're going to get a new system. Um, and so if, if you have questions, if your team has questions, you know, please ask us. We're... As you're going to see from this presentation, we're not wedded to a single platform or a single vendor, uh, but we're looking for powerful things that work and especially that you know make our, our lives easier as the support professionals on campus. Okay, so what, what you're looking at here is just basically a screenshot of, uh, of, the, of the Meraki dashboard. And uh, can you hear me all right? So basically, if you look at the UDP traffic, or basically just the Internet traffic, basically we're looking at 32 terabytes over the last week. That's just the amount of traffic, you know, and that, and, that, and that gives you an idea of how much the wireless side has grown. What originally put in the inception was done as a convenience, now has become can't do without. You know, uh, as you know, most kids have two to three devices. Our enrollment hasn't changed. Our money coming in hasn't changed. But we have three times more usage on the same network. Again, doing more with less. 
when we when we priced out the Meraki, we uh, believe it or not, with the seven year plan was actually cheaper. Once you put in all the warranty, the the Starnet, and everything else, and the controllers, Meraki actually ended up being cheaper in the long run for us than the Cisco, without having to worry about um, adding more licensing or, or larger controllers if we decide to add more APs. Um, this is just a quick screenshot of the kind of APs we're running. Um, combination indoor, outdoor, um, to cover all 80 acres. We're currently in a process of adding more just to get more saturation and density. We don't have any problems yet, but as we, as we find out, classrooms are getting more and more BYOD devices and uh, we're just having to kind of respond accordingly. So we're going to talk a little bit about Wi-Fi and network management. Um, one of the things that we are working to do and almost have done completely now is segment our network between students and faculty staff. Uh, quick story, I was at Texas, Texas Tech University in the College of Education for about five years in Lubbock. And I remember hearing the, the IT director there talk about how much bandwidth the dorms were taking, right? And we're talking about days of peer-to-peer -peer and Napster and things like that. But they made a decision at that time, we're cutting it separate, okay? The dorms are over here, and then the rest of the campus is going to be over here because we don't want our academic bandwidth to be affected by, you know, what students are doing. And so from a security standpoint, as well as a management standpoint, if you're not already doing this, very good idea to actually segment student traffic so it's over here and teacher traffic so it's, it's, it's over in another area. Uh, ease of use of management, as, as Lauren said, you know, we logged in this morning and actually had some network upgrades and it's very nice to be able to, to log in on my phone and be able to see, you know, green lights, there was one red light and we knew which switch to go and, and how to swap that out. Um, so it, uh, the dashboard, we don't use all Meraki, in fact, as Lauren will talk about later, our firewall has been a sonic wall and we're in the process of transitioning to smooth wall. Um, but still, even though we don't have the, the firewall security appliance, there's a lot of, of flexibility and power that this gives us. You want to talk a little bit about traffic shaping? Okay, one of the, one of the reasons I really like the uh, Meraki on the traffic shaping is the ability to go to an application-based layer on our different SSIDs or our different networks. Um, for instance, uh, we have segmented the, the student. We have, a free, we have a student wireless, which is open, goes to its own pipe, goes out of its own network, basically a residential DSL circuit, and goes out. Never touches our network whatsoever. Cable, cable yeah. Um, whereas our uh, academic or faculty side is all on a separate fiber-based um, network of its own, which is 100 meg up, 100 meg down. That's greatly freed us up um, to keep the kids and their network traffic off us. But And also what we were able to do is shape their traffic where, much to their chagrin, we turned off any video streaming. You can imagine the, the hollering and the you know, that were, that were coming on that. And even some faculty, it's like, well, look, if you can give us a reason why you need Netflix in the classroom or whatever, we'll turn it on. The Meraki allows us to literally go in and turn it on, let's say, for the hour of that class. If they're going to have, a, you know, let's say, um, showing a movie that has some merit. One of the reasons we're going to transition to the smooth wall that we'll talk about is to be able to do some role-based um, filtering. So we've got foreign language teachers that, that they can't get these films other places. You have to get a DVD with a special country code set up and everything. And, you know, they need that. Well, with our new system, we're going to have more capability to be able to say, all right, foreign language teachers can have access to this. But as most IT folks will tell you, Netflix can really kill your bandwidth. And so we don't want to say no, of course, if it's instructional. And that's why we want tools that give us more choices. 
And so we can say yes, but it may not be, you know, yes for everyone and yes for 24-7. And another instance is uh, we had to set up an SSID or set up another network for uh, visiting dignitaries at one point. Uh, Wes was able to go in within 10 minutes or so, had the network, the scope, and everything set up, brand new ID. Um, that wouldn't have been possible, at least with our skill level, on the Cisco with where we were at. So for the ease of, ease of setting it up, the ease of changing something, the ease of even creating a new one just for a weekend or whatever the case may be was ideal. And there were some other things we found out later on, some caveats that uh, especially helped us with airplane and whatnot also. Let's go ahead well, and talk more about this. One of the things that we were happy to, to find out is that for our student network, which we said we've segmented separately, um, the Meraki actually handles the DHCP. I don't know if you've ever been to a conference or sometime when they ran out of addresses. No, oh, I've got to fix the scope. And that's not a small thing to have to, to do on the fly. So Lauren's got our, our regular LAN, our local area network, set up for all our faculty and staff and for those devices. But then on the guest side and the student side, we, we let Meraki. Lord, how many is that? It's like 1.2 million users. Well, some crazy. It's a huge number. We're like, we're not going to exceed that. So that's very good. Um, Something else that we're going to definitely encourage. How many of you are using AirPlay to wirelessly uh, mirror your devices to the screen? Okay. Has anybody ever had trouble with that? You know, dropping out or not being reliable. So one of the things which we learned and, and worked especially last year to implement, it's called a Bonjour Gateway. And what that does is it puts all your AirPlay traffic in its own segment, in its own pipe. It's called a virtual LAN. And it advertises it so it's available to the people you want to make available to. So all of our faculty have access. They can see all of those um, Apple TVs. And we use Air, Air Server software on the Mac laptops. But it doesn't um, fill the whole traffic, the whole pipe with, with traffic so that it slows everything down and brings it down to a, a standstill. Definitely a big tip is passphrase security. Well, I was at OU a number of years ago in the College of Education and, and saw the Apple TVs everywhere, and they have the codes, right? So if you try to connect to that Apple TV, the code pops up. Why? Because you don't want you know Joey or Sarah or somebody in another place you know interfering with your class. And so we turn password security on for, in this case, the Air Server uh, software. Also, Reflector is another. You know, approximately seven or eight dollar piece of software you can license for your computers if you don't have Apple TVs. But on our Apple TVs, we turn that on as well. So let's talk a little bit about security in a layered approach. Um, I am not sharing this to throw June Kim and more public schools under the bus, but more definitely made some big headlines about a year ago with their ransomware attack. In fact, shout out to our friends at Dell who really you know stepped in to help them. And um, yeah, how many of you know what we're talking about with ransomware? Is anybody else nervous about this? <laughs> this is something we're very concerned about. We had a conversation with one of our administrators this week talking about top priorities, right? Security. We would not like to come to school someday and not only find that switches are offline, but that all of our shared data is locked up and somebody's saying, hey, you need to pay us you know, hundreds of bitcoins in order to get your data free. And so we'll talk about Google and the cloud and how we've moved to the cloud. Um, but this is a big threat. And who do you think is the number one threat, um, the number one victim right now of ransomware? Any guesses on what kind of a business or organization? Hospitals, number one. What do you think number two is? Schools. Okay. Do we have any personal information at all, you know, in our networks? Do we have any, like, you know, social security numbers or, you know, anything like that? Sure we do. 
So um, this is an important, an important issue. And like an onion, good security practices and policies have multiple layers. I can't say that without thinking about Shrek and Donkey, but anyway. Um, you know, layers. It's, about, it's not about one thing. Oh, we got the firewall. You know, we're all safe. No. Oh, we got antivirus. We're all safe. No, it's just one layer. And so these are some of the layers that we have in place. We have got the firewall. We've, we're segmenting our network. We're using cloud storage. How many of you are Google Apps uh, schools at this point? Okay. I'm looking for the statistic. In fact, we ought to talk to Kurt Bernhardt and find out what it is for Oklahoma. But somebody was saying they thought like 80% of U.S. schools. That seems really high. But it's a lot of schools now that are using Google Apps. And having our data in the cloud where we're not locally responsible, we do, we still do have local stuff and we back it up. But that is, is a, is a good part of our security strategy. Um, password policies. Is there anyone here who likes to change their password? <laughs> Duh. You know, when I was at Texas Tech, I think they made us change it every 60 days and it had to be incredibly difficult and it was so painful everyone hated it. Well, you need to strike a balance somewhere in between. Not making it so painful that people, you know, hate you, but at the same time, we ought to change our passwords every once in a while, and they ought to be secure, and that means that they need to have special characters and all that stuff. So, user education is also really big and anti-malware. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about antivirus. Okay, uh, first let's address the misconception that Macs don't get viruses. I've fixed more than a handful of them, and they do. Um, more recent instance, I had a fine arts teacher with a Mac. Uh, it was a personal Mac, but she was bringing it to school because um, Macs don't get viruses. Um, I went ahead and put our Kaspersky on there. She had 30 viruses and ransoms on her computer. Now, technically, her computer wasn't infected per se, but if she sent any one of those infected files to someone via an email or something else, it could have taken down the network. So they may, they may be a host regardless of whether they're actually, you know, visibly affected or infected. Um, Chromebooks... Um, one of the reasons we're liking those quite a bit is because there's it's a limited OS. It doesn't really, you know, everything's in the sandbox, everything's out there. We don't really have to even worry about putting an antivirus on Chromebooks. Um, so that's, you know, we, we, we moved from Symantec to Kaspersky, uh, I think about, a year, about two years ago. One of the reasons for that was at the time they have, Symantec wanted different dashboards for both platforms, the Windows and the Macs. Um, I can't say Kaspersky is just like worlds ahead. Because they're all difficult, but uh, it's a better platform for managing both. And the hardest part, as we know, and one of the reasons we're segmenting our network is because students, especially the BYOD environment, we can't make sure every student always has antivirus. Another reason to segment it. A funny story about Kaspersky: uh, if you get, if it identifies something, it will roar at you like a lion. <laughs> and so this is a good thing to tell your users in advance that if your if your computer roars, you know, and it pops this thing up, you know, that's okay. It, it's okay. It means it's protecting you and it's finding something. Uh, and it'll either quarantine, let you quarantine it or delete it. Uh, but um, you know, this is something too that we need. To, I think we continually uh, looking at and, and deciding, you know, what what's going to meet our needs. This is just one part of the strategy, but it is an important part of the strategy. And when I came to Cassidy a year and a half ago, I was under that impression. Oh, I've got a Mac. I don't have to worry. You know, we quickly learned that's not the case. So uh, Lauren's already talked a little bit about Chrome and the power of, of Chrome. How many of you have some Chrome devices in your school or, or your building? Okay, so it's not perfect, you know. There's there's still phishing out there, but you can still get your information, try to get your account to log in. But uh, has anybody else power washed a Chromebook before? 
That is a beautiful thing, right? What does power wash mean? It means you click something, you hold down some keys, and in a few minutes, you have a pristine box that has a brand new version of Chrome on it that doesn't have anything else affecting it. And I really think, I mean, this is what Lauren does a lot, and I think we'll mention the, the server with our Mac server, is re-image. How do you make sure your computer's clean? Well, being able to, to power wash it is probably the best the best way to do that. Game changer, good. You want to talk about Google Drive? Uh, one, of, one of the neat things we've had, uh, and I know you IT guys won't, won't understand this, um, oftentimes we tell our teachers, look, you're responsible for your own data on a Mac. Macs do not easily back up to Active Directory. They never will. Um, of course, they're like, well, then you need to buy us something. Um, one of the things we've used is Google Drive. It's, uh, it's awesome. It's, it's kind of hard to explain sometimes that, hey, what's up here is the same as things down here. But the nice thing about the Google Drive is once it's installed, it installs under the home folder in a Mac, so it's easily accessible. They're not, you're not having to say, okay, drill down to all these different folders. You can copy from there, you can save it there, and it's, and it's a free alternative, which is basically for schools, unlimited. If you're a school and not using Google, you're leaving money on the table, because it's free. And it's one of the few things that, when we migrated away from Outlook and Exchange, it was one of the few things I've seen in my life that's actually as easy and, and flawless as they said it was. I literally sent all the emails up on a weekend, Monday morning, all but a handful of them work, probably like 2%. Google is a game changer. I mean, for school, it, it yeah, it, I can't say good enough, enough good about it, especially once you start using the Google Chromebooks, the cost of those. The students, we've, we've had the students using their uh, Google accounts. We actually have them all the way from, what, third grade on now? First, first grade on. Third first grade, grade on now, yeah. uh, although only email after the middle division. But uh, it's amazing how quick the kids are, te- are now teaching us. And Lauren's been doing training with this, right? As far as teachers coming in, yeah. we're probably most familiar with the web-based way of accessing files. But when you install a Google Drive application, that puts a folder on your computer that automatically syncs it. And it does look like a mess usually to be able to put everything in a folder. But I think that's been a real positive. And I don't know what the percentage of users that are doing this, but one of our goals is to really help everybody see the power of this. It's free. And again, if your stuff is being saved inside that folder, it's backed up. And if something happens to your laptop or your machine, you shouldn't have to panic because it's already been backed up. So uh, we want to talk a little, we're going to talk a little bit more in depth. If there's anybody here, like our support person, I have no idea why this is like going in and out. So anyway. Proximity. Proximity. I don't know. Even my stand still. Um, This was a, a, a good thing. The Google console, when you purchase the device license, which basically is $25 per Chromebook, that allows you in the Google console to do lots and lots of powerful things. Like, we set all of our student accounts, so as soon as they close the laptop, the Chromebook t- laptop lid, it logs out. Now, do we want to teach all the kids to log out and make sure that, yes, we do. But practically speaking, what a wonderful thing to say, class is done, fold it up, put it in the cart, you know, we're already logged out. So that is just one of multiple things that we found and we're using. And, and this is something that we're, we'd actually like to go to some Google administration uh, training. If any of your schools are interested, like that would be a great thing. Maybe pool resources to bring somebody in. They do have online training for Google admin, which we're going to look at doing and haven't done yet. But wow, that, that can be phenomenal. Because we have had a few isolated issues, I'm sure you have, with a student who wasn't logged out and somebody did something and somebody got upset. So it's not going to solve all the problems, but it's definitely uh, positive. Firewalls. Okay, uh, we've been on SonicWall for about 15 years now. 
and it's done pretty much everything you want. It's very robust. It's kind of like the original Cisco uh, wireless. That's everything you want. It's just not <coughs> intuitive nor necessarily easy to go through. Even the reporting, it can be done, but it requires someone that almost has nothing to do but firewall on a day-in, day-out basis, which we don't. Um, we've looked at Palo Alto. we looked at a bunch of others. Um, Smoothwall is a company out of U.K., that has what eighty percent of the market, I think, in UK. A uh, huge part of the, of the UK schools are on Smoothwall. But it's it's geared specifically for educational institutions. Um, and what what we really like about it is it's it's not unlike Meraki and the GUI interface. And the drill down reporting. What we'd like to get to is individual student activities. It's now, not that we want to know who yeah. used that website, what time they hit it, and what computer they were on. The Smoothwall, from everything everything is built, and everything we've seen. Now we talked to a couple. A couple of districts in Kansas, which we've been using this smooth wall for years, and the whole districts. So we're actually moving towards that over Christmas break. Um, this comes out of Dan's Guardian. If you've ever heard of Dan's Guardian, it's an open source uh, filtering, something you can do at your house. They have a commercial side as well. Uh, and deep packet inspection, what's that for? Why is that? Uh, the deep packet inspection, what we found is a lot of the uh, traffic nowadays um, is going through the secure socket layer, or the encrypted traffic. And, and what we're seeing now is people are starting to put the viruses and the ransomware and stuff like that in the secure traffic. Deep packet inspections on what they call the sixth generation firewalls, as is an application um, layer protocol. Our sonic wall doesn't have either of those at this time. Those are the two things in being proactive we're trying to get to help keep the students to be more proactive and not reactive. As we know, most of the students are finding stuff and we're just reacting to it. The uh, deep packet inspection does slow down quite a bit, but it will inspect, basically unencrypts Every piece of traffic looks at everything, makes sure it doesn't have certain signatures, then re-encrypts it and sends it back through. Does slow it down a little bit, but it's it's, it's much more, um, much much better at fixing, finding those things. Um, the application layer, instead of like saying, "Hey, I just want to stop all streaming," I can literally say, "I want to stop the application Netflix from ever turning on in my in my network." Imagine how nice that'd be. It's amazing how many teachers have had, you know, "Hey, I want Pandora in the classroom." I'm like, for what? I would create ambiance. I'm like, okay, as IT guys, you know, ambiance is highly overrated. Um, I'm teaching yoga class at 3:30 in my classroom. I'm like, come on, guys. Um, but we can work with me. We'll be able to turn <laughs> things on, on like after yeah. school. So if you want that at 3:30, or if you want that after hours, yeah. I mean, there's going to be more flexibility to do this. Or we training. can literally create a group. Let's say a yoga group. It's okay. Anytime after 3:30, between 3:30 and 5, right. allow it. This teacher is logged in. Lots of yoga. Um, it, it, it adds more management on our side, but it does make it much easier. To make a change on the go or on the fly, because I know you don't believe this, but sometimes these, these uh, requests come at the last minute. <laughs> Something I didn't want to slide for, but uh, I'm going to do a shout out for. There's some great Google Apps Administrator podcasts that you can find, um, and, and I just started listening to this. I think they're out of California. One of them recently talked about this filter and said, on an annual basis, I'm always looking at my filter because is it meeting my needs? You know, what is it doing? You know, stuff will get into multi-year contracts, and we may not be able to do that. But you know, if, if your department, your school is not looking at that, uh, just because you've been on something for a long time doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to best meet your needs. And when those contracts expire and you have an opportunity, um, you know, we think Smoothwall's worth checking out and check with us uh, next year this time, and we'll yeah. tell you what it's been like. Because this is going to be a, a Christmas project. So let's talk a little bit about mobile device management. Um, how many of you are using or are in a school that is using a mobile device manager of some kind? Okay. So benefits of MDM 
being able to push apps, right? Being able to purchase at a volume discount apps for your school. Uh, being able to just know where your devices are, you know, and what's charged, and what's been updated. And, you know, just on the management side, there are huge differences in supporting Chromebooks versus iPads. And we can tell you this personally because we live this. We only have about 100 school-owned iPads under management now. But, you know, we've got about a, a little over 200 Chromebooks, and then we've got, you know, over 300 other, other workstations. And so when you have set up an iPad, and things change, right? We're always learning, you know, Configurator 2, and, you know, now it's Apple Classroom, and, and DEP, and all these new things are coming. Um, it, it's just a, it's a big difference. So these are a couple pictures from last summer uh, when we had about 111 new Dell Chromebooks. We tested about five different kinds of Chromebooks. Uh, if you're looking at this, by the way, talk to uh, Jeffrey Herbal at uh, Enid. They just rolled out thousands, and they got a really awesome support deal on theirs, and I need to find out myself where they are getting those. But we got them for about 200 and I want to say $11, something like that, the licenses on top. But you know, in about two, two and a half hours, there were four of us that had set up and provisioned all 111 you know, Chromebooks. And we do not set up Windows machines that fast. We do not set up Macs that fast. I mean, you can't image them, but there's still stuff you have to do with touching. And literally with the Chromebook, you hold down some keys that's going to join your domain. You put in the asset tag for, you know, what you're going to call that device and it restarts. And then that device is joined to your Google account, to your Google admin console, and you're able to manage it. And whatever you need to do with it, basically you can, you can do most of that just through, through the cloud. Um, you have any comments on that, having seen the, the other side of this? Yeah, I mean, that, that's where the $25 per machine it adds up. But to literally roll out 122 stations in three hours. And, and, and two of them, one of them was a librarian, and the other one's a teacher at computer science. Um, Literally six classrooms with the Chrome cards in three hours, um, and, we, and we still made lunch. It was like wow. I mean, it, it was a game changer. It's to, you, you, I can't build a Windows workstation in less than an hour. And the way that works is you'll you'll set up. We set up a test account, a student account, and whatever organizational unit you put that in. So we've got our whole you know school, we've got our students together, and then we've got our, our upper division, our high school kids, our middle school kids. So, you know, we knew which group we wanted this to go in, and with our cards, we have a subgroup for those cards. And since that account was in the cart, when you log in with that, with Enterprise Enrollment, it automatically puts it inside that area. So, just can't say enough about Not that. Not also including the asset management. You're getting serial numbers and everything else. So, it's, right. it's literally one-stop shopping. So, just so you don't think this is an all-pro Google, um, iPads are awesome, okay? They really are. And the session I'll do at 1.30 back here in this room after, after lunch is going to be about like 35 different iPad projects, okay? I can do projects. My kids and teachers can do projects with iPads. They're not going to do with their Chromebook, okay? I don't want you taking your Chromebook with the webcam and, you know, trying to make green screen video. That's, that's not going to be a good use of the Chromebook. Uh, and so those things are important. Uh, we live in a multi-device world, right? How many devices did you bring today? Who's got at least three three devices? Does anybody have three devices? Who has at least two devices? Okay, I'm sure, lots of people. And, and so this is kind of the world we're in. We're not going to provide as a school you more than one device. So we may end up picking at some point, which we're not at right now. We may, you know, specify something, but at this point it's multi-device and there are, there are benefits to each one. So this is a, a list in the Meraki 
dashboard of our mobile device manager um, of, of all our iPads. And you can see somebody's a red line there. That means they need to charge. They're almost dead. Uh, but we can see who's updated, you know, what, what people have done. Um, does anybody use Jamf? Is there any of them? Okay, that's the one that I've heard, you know, price-wise and function-wise. I have been told it really doesn't matter. They're all the same. Uh, but evidently there are some differences. And this is something, incidentally, I'd love to visit with more people about to hear what your experiences are because Meraki lets you have up to 100 devices free and then you pay for all those 100 devices plus device 101. So again, this summer, which is our best time to roll things over, we're going to be switching. And I'm, I'm very interested in hearing what your experiences have been as well as your recommendations. Who remembers this article from Los Angeles Unified with iPads and kids hacking their iPads? you remember this? 2015? All right. Was this really a hack? What did the kids do? I think what they did was they removed the profile, okay? And unless you order your iPads through Apple's uh, DEP program and have things locked, anybody can step up, go to system settings, and say remove profile. And so we are not currently ordering DEP iPads, but again, we've only, we really only have one classroom. Our band teacher this year has 15 iPad minis. And then we've got sort of gardens, you know, four here, you know, teachers with individual iPads for themselves in their classroom. <clears throat> but if you're going to do any kind of large purchase, definitely use the deployment program. This is the white glove stuff. And even with Chromebooks, you can do this as well. Uh, we haven't had to, but you can get it where, you know, it automatically has your wireless credentials. It's attached to your mobile device manager. You know, you open it up and it's basically ready to go, ready to log in. So the volume purchase program is, is something we definitely have used. It depends on the app, but you can get about a 50% discount if you buy 20 or more. So our system continues to be using both Apple Configurator and the mobile device manager. What is Apple Configurator? It's a software program that runs on a Mac. So you have to have a Mac laptop, a Mac uh, mini, you know, some kind of Mac device. And you run it like iTunes, where it recognizes the iPad, but then you say supervise. And when you supervise, it erases it, but it becomes you know, a part of your school's uh, iPad fleet. And uh, help me out if you figured out another way to do this, but that's what we have to do first to supervise. Again, if you're working with DEP, you can get them probably when they come supervised and they're ready to go. Uh, but we've uh, you know, ended up getting iPads in different places. Sometimes we've even bought used iPads uh, because of, um, iPad Air or Air 2 you know, is pretty robust. We're trying not to buy iPads that are 16 gig. We're trying now to just get 32 gig and larger because of how big the apps are plus how, how large video is if you record video. So, Configurator 2, um, I, has anybody moved to computers and stopped using the same Configurator computer? Is that something I've heard as a gotcha, that you need to be using that same Mac to do the configuration and switch? I haven't done that yet. I've just used one computer to do that. Um, but this was a big aha. Who has successfully silently pushed apps so that it doesn't pop up with a password? Who knows the pain of having lots of password prompts every time a new app is showing up on your device and you have to put in that secure password that your IT person said, you got to use a secure password. So in order to silently push even free apps, you go into the, the, the uh, volume purchase uh, program, you purchase 20 free copies of, of uh, you know, iEnigma or whatever the app is. And then you use your mobile device manager with, and then Meraki with a tag to assign it. And, and if I, you know, 
I'm probably a little embarrassed to dance in my room. I don't think Lauren's actually seen me do that. But he's heard me whoop, you know, with excitement. And, and that's one time, you know, and that worked and we figured that out. So um, this is also a huge aha. How many of you have used an MDM to, to change your home screen? Let me ask this a different way. How many of you can't change the home screen on your iPads because it's locked by your technology board? Anybody have that? I mean, there are. There are schools where that happens. So there's a balance between freedom and, and letting us customize. But then, like, for a cart, you know, I want my cart to look all the same. I want all the apps there. I want them in the same folders. No, I don't want you to really change the wallpaper to your selfie. Right? You may figure that out. The selfie, the drive to take a selfie. Anyway, this helps address that. It'll, it lets me put my wallpaper on. It lets me put my folders and all devices. When I set up our <clears throat> band teacher's 15 iPad minis this summer at ISTE in Denver, I had seen the Meraki demo of this. And I, it was hard to find the documentation about this online. But it was there. And you can set up the way you want your folders, the way you want your apps in the cloud. And then all the devices you know, have that same setting. Um, this is the uh, system manager app. It's kind of like an app store. So once you've pushed apps to teachers, then they can go in here and see what apps, if for some reason it hasn't downloaded, they can click on the cloud icon and it pulls it down. We found that's a good thing to put on everybody's device. And um, this is just an example of tags. We'll probably be changing this up <coughs> when we get a new MDM. Uh, but, you know, it's a multi-step process of setting up your accounts, setting up your certificates, but once you have that, you know, in place, being able to push apps, and I'm not affiliated with them, but explain everything. Anybody using explain everything for iPad? Explain everything, book creator, anybody using book creator? I know some are. And then also um, the um, green screen app by doing, those are free paid apps that I will put on every one of our teachers' iPads. Because they're so powerful and, it's, and, and you can't do that stuff with a Chromebook the, the way that you can on those apps. So, how about our Apple server? Uh, what does that look like on our campus? Well, we bought a new Mac Mini recently for a couple reasons. One, mainly just imaging. Um, that's one thing Apple did right. It's easiest to re-image a machine once, you, once you've updated and put it on there. But uh, from another aspect, the new caching feature or the caching feature on the Mac Mini is uh, awesome. As many of you know, the network traffic seems to go up the same day as uh, somebody from Apple releases a new iTunes or the new Sierra. It's like, well, I'm not going to do this at home. I'm just going to go ahead and go to work and I'll download it there. And they're not small, right? I mean, they're sometimes over a gigabyte. And if people are downloading that just on the network, that's pulling a gigabyte of data through your pipe, you know, to their box. And we just set this up uh, two weeks ago, maybe three. Um, what happens is the first time that if someone's on our network, and that includes the wireless or the, or the wired network, the first time, let's say Sierra was downloaded, was 5.7 gig. You know, it took it took you know it took uh, 15, 20 minutes. The second time I ran it from the server, it took two minutes. Two minutes. So you're pulling it across the network, not across your bandwidth. Um, and in those in in the time since we set that caching, I've got 40 gig worth of updates on that Mac server, just for Apple specific products. So it's worth it just for the caching alone. If you have any a significant amount of Macs, Apples, iPhones, whatever it is that's being updated across your network. It's worth it just to keep it off of your data pipe. The other thing I'll say about that is Lauren is frequently re-imaging computers for teachers. And the best scenario is when they come to them and they say, oh, all my stuff's in Google Drive, no problem. You know, re-image, give, give them their device. 
Um, we haven't yet figured out the imaging on Windows 10 because of the way the licensing works. So if anybody is, is doing that, we've had you know, semantic ghosts and other things that we've done imaging. But I really think this is one of the best practices for, for an IT shop, is being able to rapidly turn around a laptop. When you say, it's running slow, I don't know what I clicked on, but it's just not working like it used to. You know, being able to hand it to somebody, and then ideally, it depends on all kinds of things, but ideally within a few hours, you know, you get it back, and your, your data is there, and, and it's running like a champion, because it's a fresh copy. That's why the power wash on Chrome is so awesome. And the Mac server allows us to do the same thing with a few more steps uh, on the Mac side. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about Chromebook management tips. Um, I feel like I got to say this, right? I love Macs, okay? I love Macs. I love I love powerful tools that just work, right? I'm really not interested in having to go through you know 30 hoops if I can do something in, in two or three steps. Um, but for the first time in, in the first quarter of 2016, Chromebooks outsold Macs in the education market. All right, that's a big statistic. That's a, that's a, that's a huge deal. And so, you know, while I love Apple and I love Macs, you know, I'd be doing a disservice to my school if I was not looking at other platforms and what they can do for us. And there's a reason why Chrome is becoming, you know, so, so loved in the education space. Uh, we've already mentioned this, but a big tip with red bold text. Always purchase the $25 Chrome device license. That way you can provision them. You want to be a Google Apps school, and there are some schools that won't transition everybody, but they'll set up a separate domain, say this is our Google domain, and then you put your Chromebooks into that domain. Um, we had not previously done that, and our Chromebooks, we would use them in guest mode. It was great, they still work, but we didn't have all that power of being able to manage like with the lockout stuff, with printing. Of course, you don't really want to just Printing, but anyway, we we have the option. All right, if we want to get printing abilities through Google Cloud Print uh, and do other management things, we can. Um, I've got a post that you can link to that explains the steps of how to force the Chromebook user logout when it's closed. I think it's actually a user setting, which is kind of weird. It's not a device setting, and some of those things still you know change and move around. Uh, this is big. Who uses Chrome Gopher? Anybody using this? Okay, awesome free extension. What does it do? It connects to your Google Apps admin console. It pulls all of the devices that you have under management into a spreadsheet. You can quickly scan down and say, oh, look, we mistyped, you know, LD or whatever in the asset tag. And then when you go up, it's an add-on, so you make the changes, and then you go up and sync, and it writes those changes up to the Google Admin Console. So this is a, a good tool, and the developer who used this, there had been another one, I think, called Chrome Inventory or something, and he switched companies. So this is the new company that he's with, uh, Chrome Gopher, and it's free. How many of you have used Share to Classroom? Okay. First time we used this feature, uh, well, how many are using Google Classroom? Let's ask that. Okay, more hands. Okay. The Share to Classroom extension does the following. And we just did this last Tuesday at a little mini retreat we had about digital citizenship. We had Chromebooks, and we logged them in with a student account. And they were all in the same Google Classroom. Okay, you got to be logged in, and those, that account's got to be in Google Classroom. On my computer, I said, push this link. And that link appeared on everybody's computer. It just appeared. Oh my gosh. You know, I, 
they were not as impressed as they should have been, you know, <laughs> seeing that happen. You know, is this is this just save the day revolutionary? No. But instead of your kids going to Google Classroom and logging in and finding the link, you know, it's like five steps become immediate. So that's free. And what, again, we do with the Google Console is I push that extension for every student. So as soon as a student logs into a Chromebook, boom, they've got that. And then the teacher just has to install that and then they're able to push it. In fact, this is so new. We've been so busy, I haven't emailed this out to our teachers yet. And this is one of the things I'll be sending to them soon. Because we've got a number of teachers using Google Classroom, and that really helps. Um, Google Cloud Print. Um, we would like to have all of our printers working with Google Cloud. We don't. Uh, we have Canon multifunction printer copiers release. So if you have a device that doesn't natively work with Google Cloud Print, you can set up what's called a classic printing connection, but it's a little cumbersome and sometimes you have to restart it. You actually set up a print server, which we don't use print servers for everything else, uh, but you have to do some stuff on the server side. But it's nice that you can you can do that. And for instance, in our upper division high school library, that's the black and white printer that we want those Chromebooks to use. So we set it up as a classic Chrome printer and gave that access to the library Chromebook cart and then the students can print. Um, AirPlay, I asked you earlier about uh, how many of you were, were doing that wireless send. <clears throat> in March, I had a chance to go to Brazil for a, a presentation and a little workshop. They had 250 licenses of this, AirParrot. And what AirParrot lets you do is take your Chromebook and send your Chromebook screen to your Apple TV or to your Air server. So if you are, as, as we are, are in the process of making some investments in Apple TVs and putting those in classrooms, it's nice that it's not just the Macs, it's also Chrome. And it wasn't working great with videos, but it was working pretty good with screens. We're continuing to, to look at this. I see there's a Chromecast. Actually, I think it fell out of my, my uh, backpack. You know, Chromecast, what does this cost? 35 bucks, okay? But the management of this from an IT standpoint is really important, okay? With Air Surfer uh, and AirPlay and, and Apple TV, we can manage it, and, and that becomes important on the IT side. What you don't want is to have a great new technology, hey, you have this great Chromecast, and everybody puts it in the room, and then the whole network slows down, and nobody can do anything, and then you're the, the goat instead of the hero. So uh, we're going to open up just briefly for some Q&A, but I'll do a shout out. Um, I've been uh, having a weekly YouTube live podcast called the EdTech Situation Room with my friend Jason Neifer, who's up in Missoula, Montana, uh, on Wednesdays, and we'll probably be on tonight. Sometimes we have to skip, or sometimes he's out or I'm out. But anyway, you can check that out at EdTechSR, and we're always talking about geeky stuff. So we're talking about news, this happening with technology, and then educationally, what does this mean? You know, this fact like with Google, I mean, uh, Sonjar Pichai said at the last Google event in October that AI is the new search for Google. Like the Google Assistant and what you see in, in the Chrome uh, Pixel, it, it's, it's, there's big stuff working. So let's open up for questions. Anybody want to toss some questions our way? We've got about 13 minutes, or I think probably are maybe three minutes. We'd like to ask a question. Yes, in the back. We honestly, the question is, are we recommending the AirParrot over Chromecast? Uh, we haven't done a ton of testing with it. That's the one I've seen being deployed in schools where you have so many licenses and it will work over your existing Apple TV infrastructure. Um, I, we, yeah, 
I well, for us it shouldn't be the same. It should because because all our Apple TVs are segmented with that Bonjour gateway on a separate VLAN, it, it that should integrate well with what we've already set up. Um, the Microsoft, you've got one teacher who's got the Microsoft wireless and uh, mixed results with that, but, but I don't think that is on our wireless in the same way that the airplane is. So, but we're very interested in that, right? Because this is part of the future. Like today, we're tethered, okay? And being untethered, being able to be anywhere in the room with my device, letting my students share their screen, all that's good stuff. Any question here? Uh, no. You guys have a brand well, we've had Asus, the Samsung, the, the last batch of 120 or whatever, 22 we bought were Dells. Um, reason for it, we're a Dell partner. We, we, we use Dell uh, for our servers and everything, but uh, they have the, the uh, it's more of a, what, military type It's like a tough look almost as far as how yeah. durable it is and the keyboard. It's got the keys you can't pull underneath or pry underneath. It's got uh, a semi-waterproof um, keyboard. We did have the first key popped off. And it's got a one-year warranty where most of the... Dell. Dell, we're using Dell, 11 inch Dells. It comes with a one year warranty, whereas the other ones were, I think, were 30 day or 90 day. But like I said, talk to Jeff Herbal and Ian because, like, uh, does anybody know how many they did? Like 20,000 or something? A crazy number of Chromebooks. You know, when you have to buy that, I think you get better deals. But yeah. anyway, the support that they got as far as the breakage and the turnaround was, was really. It's basically like three year, I think, with no extra, no extra cost. Yeah. Is what and they ended up doing. Acer has been the favorite of Glenn Emerson, who's our middle division computer teacher that manages those. It's important to see where the power plug is. And we had some Samsungs, I think, where it was like not on the end. And so just function in and out of the cart, that kind of yeah. stuff. But, you know, as you may know, vendors are, are very willing to send you demo units, you know, like try them. And like we did about five and then settle on the Dell 11 inch. Um, yes, about For the classroom perspective, you guys Because we do on at our lab side. That was not that's not Chromebook specific though. No, that's true. We're going one one. Okay. So the question is, from a teacher standpoint, when you want to take control of student machines, do we have software to do that? We use Net Support on the Windows side in our language labs. Candy said she used Also, that program you have where you can send stuff to Google Classroom as a management source. Or in Google Classroom, you pretty much have a lot of that flexibility. I've used Nearpod some, you know, but that idea of I'm going to project on your device and your screen and control it, I think there's limited use for that. I think you want to be able to project up here and you want to be able to readily share with your students, but students have the ability to go to links and visit things and take notes and work with your content. Um, have, have you found one that works with Chrome to do that as far as like the land school or the net support? Yeah. Have you, yeah, no, you're asking. Them and I well, about, man, how am I going to know? Yeah. And, that, and, and the classroom management, like, yeah, is, is about, you know, having visibility for screens and talking about being able to go this down, having kids have accountability for what we're doing. There's a whole lot of moving parts to that because Apple Remote Desktop, which we have on the Mac side, let us see all the screens and, and that's fantastic, but I haven't found anything like that for Chrome. Land School. Okay, Tammy says Land School. Follow Tammy Parks right now. T Parks on Twitter. Follow her. Okay. If anybody ever wants to come see the campus or wants to come, you know, check it out, tell us what we're doing right or wrong, or just take a look at it for yourself, just uh, contact us. We'll set up a time. You guys can come out. 
do lunch, whatever. Um, we like to see what we're doing right and what we're doing wrong. All right. Well, thank you all so much. Thank you very much. You're listening to Fuel for Educational Change Agents, an audio podcast channel including a variety of audio recordings by and recorded by Wesley Fryer, published for educators worldwide interested in free audio-based professional development. This is a supplementary podcast channel complementing Moving at the Speed of Creativity podcast, which typically includes longer and lightly edited or unedited audio recordings. Learn more and access these podcasts on audio.speedofcreativity.org. All content on this podcast is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 United States license.